if we're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, you probably know this about us. Jesus dying on the cross is a big deal, right? Jesus dying on the cross is a big deal? Okay. He's a, yeah. It's a big deal. Um, he said it was going to be a big deal. Okay. In Matthew 16, 21, he says, from that time on, right? So he's doing his ministry with his disciples. And then it says, from that time on, he began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed. See, Jesus knew that when I come to earth, he goes, I am here because I must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. What's interesting is he, he tells his disciples that. They don't get it. So later in Matthew, he tells them the same thing. They still don't get it. Third time, he tells them they still don't get it. <laughs> he dies on the cross. They don't get it. Even though he told them, I got to do this, right? Now, why? Why did Jesus say, I must die on the cross? Why is that the central figure for us? I am not in the middle. That feels better. Okay. Why did he have to do that? For 1,500 years, for 1,500 years, there was a sacrificial system that was set up by God for the Israelites to worship him. It involved the sacrifice of animals that God would accept to make atonement for them. Now, we're in this series, and we're calling it From the Old to New. And what we realize is much, I, I, I believe me, again, if you're new at all to the Christian faith or if you don't believe, read the New Testament, okay? That's read starting with Jesus and go on. But here's what we know. If you do read the New Testament, you're going to read some stuff and you're going, what's that in there for? <laughs> what is that? It doesn't make any sense. Because you kind of jumped into the middle of the movie. So now we got to jump to the beginning of the movie, all right? 1,500 years, the Israelites lived with a sacrificial system where an animal had to be killed, and God would receive it for atonement. Now, what is atonement? The word means to cover. Literally, it means to cover. And then it came to mean always within the issue of forgiveness and reconciliation and peace with God. So atonement means I'm going to cover your sin and I'm going to forgive it so that we can be reconciled together. In fact, the Anglo-Saxon word atonement, you guys, can you imagine if we pulled that, what's it, what's it, did you get that? If we pulled it apart, at one meant. God is saying again, listen, I created you to be with me to be in relationship with me. And so God is absolutely committed to doing whatever has to take place to cover sin, to forgive it, and so we can be at peace with God and be reconciled back to him. In fact, right in the very beginning, when he created Adam and Eve, right, everything was beautiful. He walked in the garden with them, and then sin happened, and as soon as sin happened, the first thing they wanted to do was hide. And they tried to cover their nakedness, cover their shame. And yet, who covers them? God. God takes the skin of an animal and he covers them. Because God wants to be with his people. So, Jesus said, man, eternal life is being with God. Numbers, so, he, he 
the beginning happens, Abraham is everything that uh, Derek talked about last week. And then we jump into Exodus, which is the Moses story. And this is where God chooses the Israelites to be his people. And one of the things he did, this is so fantastic, when the Exodus happened and he took them out of slavery, out of Egypt, God was the one who actually was with those people. In fact, later in the book of Numbers, Moses kind of makes this amazing statement. He says, he's talking to the Lord, and he says, God, they have the other people. They have already heard that you, Lord, are with these people, and that you, Lord, have been seen face to face, that your cloud stays over them, and that you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. God has always wanted to be with his people. Is he with you? Are you hearing his voice? Are you receiving his strength and his grace and his power? So he's got these these Israelites, and they're his chosen people. And then he decides, okay, I'm going to reveal who I am to them. So in Exodus chapters 19 through 24, it's called the law, right? Now we read that and we go, oh, no, the law. But really what God was just saying was, I'm going to reveal who I am. And I'm going to reveal how you guys should interact with each other, how you should love me, and how you should love one another. And it's called the Mosaic Covenant. Okay, so he made a covenant with Israel. Last week, Derek talked about the Abrahamic Covenant. But this was another covenant that God was making with his people. And and Derek did a great job last week explaining. That means there's relationship and there's trust. In a covenant, there's relationship and there's trust. Now, in the Mosaic Covenant, it's a little different than the one that he taught about last week. In this type of covenant, a ruler states the principles that govern the relationship between the two. A king would establish this type of covenant with his people. So God's establishing it, but he's the one who gets to say, hey, this is how it's going to go. And then, there are, this is where it's different, and then there are blessings and curses based on keeping or breaking the conditions of the covenant. So God is saying, here's my law. I'm going to be your God. Will you be my people? Now, this is how it's going to work. You have to actually follow my law. If you follow my law, he goes, then I'm going to bless you. But if you don't follow me and you live apart from me, he goes, then you're actually going to experience curse. And then the people would go, we're in. We want to be your people. And now they had to follow in that covenant. Now, here's what's interesting about God. The Bible tells us he is light, and there's no darkness in him at all. So it says, so what fellowship can light have with darkness? None. So now God has a predicament, because he set up a way of living that people can't do. They can't follow it. Anybody in here know that you can't follow the law? We just can't. You feel the pressure because you can't be good enough. So man can't follow these ways perfectly. And sin, this is where the whole issue of sin came into the picture in the Bible. And sin is anything, anything that's outside of God's nature. And whenever we do anything that's outside of God's nature, it causes division, it destroys the relationships, and ultimately it causes death. So God's saying, I will have nothing to do with it. So here's the issue. When humans are sinning, we're separating. When you sin, you separate yourself from God. He is a holy God, and he can have nothing to do 
with sin. He's revealed this about himself. So God set up a predicament. He's like, okay, I've revealed who I am, and I've made this covenant with you, and you got to follow this, and you can't do it. That's Exodus 19 through 24. So you know what he does in Exodus 25? Because what does God want? God wants to be with his people. Both Jason and Derek have already set this up. He wants partners in this world to bring his goodness everywhere. He loves, listen man, he loves you and wants to be with you so bad. So he's got this law and the people can't follow it. So the very next chapter, Exodus 25 and 26, he sets up the tabernacle or the temple. Okay, how many of you have heard of the temple, right? The Old Testament, anybody been to Israel and you've seen the temple, all right? Here's a picture of the tabernacle. That's what it would have looked like. So this is before the people were actually in Jerusalem, before the holy city. Um, and I'm gonna show you the inside and actually what this means. But God established this place to be where he would meet with his people. So I'm there, and you come to me to worship me, okay? And then when they got to Jerusalem, this is the next picture. This is the picture of the temple. That's what that would have looked like. And I want to tell you, man, if you've, how, can it just, how many of you have actually seen it? Anybody seen the temple? Okay, like four of you. Okay, we're taking a trip to Israel. You guys want to go? Yeah. <laughs> Sweet. I won't go into it. It is massive. So impressive, Okay. But now let me show you and explain to you why God set up this temple and why he set up this tabernacle. This is a picture of it. Actually, would you go back real quick, Jenny, just one back to that? So that first section uh, over here on the right side, that's actually the courtyard, okay? So, so the men could actually go in there, but that next wall, you start moving into the actual sanctuary. So now let's pull this up, this next picture. So on the outside there, there's that, that first thing on the right, the box, that is the altar of sacrifice. So when you came in that courtyard, there was an altar there for these sacrifices that was set up. And this is all God's idea. <laughs> he goes, I want you to understand something here, and I'm gonna explain this. He puts the altar of sacrifice, and then there's the bronze labor, louver, and then you actually move in, and you can see that, the holy place. Now priests, and I'm gonna explain them too, Priests were the only ones who could actually go into the holy place. You and I, normal people, we could never go in there. Israelite men and women could never go into the temple. But then, on the far left is the most holy place. And in the most holy place, God's presence was literally manifest. In fact, in the Old Testament, when they dedicated the temple to God, there was this amazing experience where it says the Lord said, oh, I'm sorry, where the, the actual presence of God filled the temple and he was so thick in his presence that the priests couldn't even go in. So here's what God was establishing. I want to be with you and my presence is right here, but you can't even get into my presence, but I'm with you, and I want you to draw near to me. And the reason he set this up is the next thing he did is he put together these priests, okay? The priests. And it says, one tribe of Israel was supposed to be set apart, the tribe of Levi. 
and they were mediators between God and men. Okay, so if I was a if I was a priest, um, then if I, in the in the Israelite community, then I actually ministered from God to you, and I ministered from you to God. I mediated. I'm the one who was able to help you connect with God. There were three roles that they had. To watch over and guard the covenant, to make sure that people stayed true to the covenant, to teach God's precepts and laws, and then to offer sacrifices at his altar. So they served of it under this covenant that God called on his people to be holy. So, and when people couldn't be holy, when they fell short of God's glory, then they would come to the temple and they would bring a sacrifice. And the priest would receive the sacrifice on behalf of the person to mediate atonement so that their sin could be covered, forgiven, and they could actually have peace with God. Now, there were five sacrifices. Okay, this is like, this is like a class you guys hear for a little bit, right? A lot of teaching, but this is super, super, super cool. There were five main sacrifices or offerings that were instituted in the book of Leviticus. Three of them were sacrifices to make atonement, to cover your sin, to forgive you, so that you could actually be in relationship with God. The sin and the guilt offerings were mandatory when unintentional sins came to light. So if you did something and you didn't even know that it was wrong, you, you screwed up, and then all of a sudden it came up, you got, oh, man, immediately you had to go and you had to provide a sacrifice to have your sins be forgiven. And then there was the burnt offering. We're going to talk a lot about this one a little bit more next week. But the burnt offering wasn't mandatory. The burnt offering was anytime anybody just wanted to draw near to God, anytime they wanted to be close to him, then they would come and they would offer this burnt sacrifice. Part of it was just to say, God, I want to be close to you, and I just want to make sure there's nothing between me and you. Nothing between me and you. So they offer freely a burnt offering, and that makes them know for sure that their sins are atoned. Now, let me tell you a few super important things about these sacrifices. Number one, you could only offer them at the temple. So if you read the Old Testament, people sometimes are like, hey, man, I'll just offer a sacrifice to God out here. And God's like, no, only in the temple. Why? Because God was setting this up to draw his people close to him. He's like, I want to be close to you. And this is where I am. So when you offer the sacrifice, you couldn't offer it anywhere. You had to offer it at the temple where God's presence was. The animal had to be spotless. It couldn't be lame. It had to be absolute pure when it was offered. It had to cost the worshiper something. In fact, there's a great story where David, the King David, completely sinned against God. So he went to offer a sacrifice to cover atonement, to be covered and reconciled back to God. And the, and the place where he went to offer the sacrifice, the guy was like, great, well, just use one of my animals. And I love what David said. He said, no, I insist on paying for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So it's in the temple. 
It's spotless. It cost them something. And then here's what the worshiper would do. You'd come and you'd put your hands on the head of the animal. And when you were doing that, what you were doing is you were identifying yourself. And this is where faith came in. You were believing that this animal literally was receiving, identifying with your sin. And then the animal had to be killed. And you killed it. And the animal died. And then the priest would take the blood from the animal, sprinkle it on the altar to cleanse you from your sin. So I want to tell you, here's what all the Israelites knew. Here's what they knew. Sin, anything I do against God, calls for the surrender of another life. I cannot be close to God unless there is a sacrifice that is made on my behalf. And that's what they believed. Now, why did they believe that? Look at this verse, Leviticus 17, 11. Here's what God says. He says, for the life of a creature is in the blood. And I have given it to you to make atonement for yourself on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. The life, the price, again, listen to this. Here's what God's revealing. For 1,500 years, he's revealing this. Whenever there's sin, it separates you from me. And somebody has to pay for that sin or you will stay separated from me. But I will receive the life, which is the blood of another living creature on your behalf. And I give the blood. Do you hear that? I give the blood so that you can make atonement for yourself. You can be covered. You can be forgiven. And you can be at peace with me. Let me just say this before I go on. God wants to be near to you. So that even when he makes a covenant, one that you can't keep, he comes along on the end side and says, since you can't keep it, I will provide a way for you to be forgiven. I love you so much that I want you to be with me. Now, here's what's crazy. Every day, every day, night and day, the burnt sacrifices were offered. People were bringing, that temple was a constant movement of the Israelite people getting their sins forgiven. The blood constantly being shed and in their face to make them aware we have a holy God. He's right there, but I can't get close to him with a sinful heart. I can't. I can't. And neither can you and I get close to a holy God if we're sinning. All right? So, but what about unintentional sin? Because these, these were actually for unintentional sins. But what about, what if I really did something bad and I just don't know for sure, right, if I'm forgiven? You guys ever wonder, what if I, how can I know for sure I'm forgiven? Well, then once a year, there was a day called the Day of Atonement. And on the 10th day of the 7th month, by, by the way, if you have a calendar these days, it's Yom Kippur. How many of you have heard of Yom Kippur? Okay, that's the Day of Atonement. Now, here's what would happen. Can you throw up, uh, Jenny, real quick, the picture of the, of the inside of the temple again? 
There it is. One time a year. In fact, God actually told Moses, Moses' brother Aaron was the first priest. He was the first high priest. And God told Moses, Moses, tell Aaron he cannot go in to the most holy place anytime he wants or he will die. Because my presence is there. And so, but one day a year, on Yom Kippur, on the Day of Atonement, the priest would come with two goats, and he would present them to God. Right here on the far right of the, of the temple, he'd present them to God, and then they'd cast lots. And one of the goats was actually going to be the sacrifice. And so he would offer a sin offering, like he did on a normal day, but this time, one day a year, and only the high priest, not any priest, only the high priest, could actually go into the holy of holies, go into the most holy place, and he would spread the blood of the sin offering on the Ark of the Covenant, on in the holy place. And here's what it says. It says, in this way, he will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and the rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. You guys, why this was such a great day and why today it's still the most important holiday in, in the Jewish faith is because all your sins were forgiven on that day. Whew. Okay, I'm good. Because the high priest could actually go into the presence of God. That's what he did with the one goat. You know what he did with the other goat? Anybody know what the other goat's called? I know some of you do. It's called the scapegoat. That's where we got this word from. You know what the, the priest would do with the other goat? Is he's lay his hands on the goat. In fact, I'm going to read this for you. When Aaron had finished making atonement for the most holy place in the tent of meeting at the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat. He is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's and he shall send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for the task, and the goat will carry on itself all their sins to a remote place, and the man shall release it in the wilderness, and all their sin is gone. 1,500 years the Israelites experienced this and they saw it. Okay, now let's enter Jesus. Now let's enter Jesus. Here's what John the Baptist said when he saw, you know what he said the first time he saw Jesus? He said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Here's the one who's gonna take away the sins of the world. Now, here's what's interesting. That, the Abrahamic covenant, which, which Derek taught you about, that covenant never ends. It goes all the way into eternity. But the Mosaic covenant was supposed to end. In fact, now there's a new covenant. The old one's gone, and the new one comes with Jesus. And so here's what I'm going to do. I battled with this one, but I talked it through with my wife, and I trust her more than me. So I'm just, I'm just going to read. I'm going to throw a couple little comments in. I'm just going to read for you God's word. I'm just going to let him point blank speak directly to you. 
from the book of Hebrews. Fantastic book. If most of you read it, it'll make no sense because it's explaining this mystery. But listen to me. It's Hebrews chapter 9. We're going to start here, verse 11 through 14. But when Christ came as high priest. So when Jesus Christ entered the world, he came as a high priest. Why? Because he was going to bring the people to God. And he was going to bring God to the people. He's the mediator. The only one who can actually mediate between a holy God and sinful people. When Christ came as the high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, is not a part of this creation. Okay? Now let me explain this. A few verses later it says this. Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was, on, that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself. Now to appear for us in God's presence. See, when Jesus died as a sacrifice, when he rose, he wasn't going in. Again, he, what we're saying is that, that whole Old Testament thing, that whole temple was to be a shadow of the reality. And here's the reality, that Jesus Christ would come as the high priest, and then he would enter into not some man-made thing. He entered into the very presence of God to offer the sacrifice for the sins of the world. Let's keep going. Verse 12. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who were ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they're outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. See, Jesus came to cleanse your conscience. Can I just ask you today, how's your conscience? Do you just sweet? Do you just feel clean? Do you totally feel free? Or are some of you in here freaking out, you're feeling guilty, you've got a past that you can't put behind you, and you have a guilty conscience. Here's what I know about a guilty conscience, because I've had plenty of it. When you have a guilty conscience, you feel shame. When you feel guilty, you feel shame. And when you feel shame, what do you do? You fear punishment, and so you hide. And when you hide, you don't serve or draw near to God. Some of you right now, the last thing you feel is near to God. The last thing you would ever think is that you could go and sit with your wife and your daughter and sit in his presence and listen to him and let him love on you and guide you and direct you and be in your life. And you feel like you can't do that because you have a guilty conscience. And Jesus came to wipe that out. Look at this. In chapter 10 now, verse 1. 
The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming. This law that God set up, he goes, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeatedly, endlessly, repeated endlessly, year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. 1,500 years, morning, night, every day. And now the New Testament helps us to see, and that could never actually take, re, re, cleanse you. Verse 2, otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices were an annual reminder of sin. I blew it again. Take an animal. Put it up there. Kill it. Okay, next week, oh, did it again. And every year, and it never took away the guilt for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. And then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. Verse 10, and by that will, listen to this, it's one of the greatest verses. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and he performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away your sin. But when this priest, meaning Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sin, not in the temple made by man, but taking his blood right into the presence of the living God. He sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made. Guys, can I just tell you, when that happened, heaven freaked out. They roared. They didn't, that was, that was good. Thank you. But in heaven, they actually knew what happened, and they went, "Wow! yes, yes, yes. They started throwing parties because they knew from that day forward, Jesus was the Savior of the world. And all sin was paid for by one sacrifice, and the sacrificial system was done because he had made it for you, for you. Let me tell you something. All your sin is forgiven. 
All of it. All of it. Now, now that, but, and I'm going to tell you, even those of you who don't believe in him, I'm going to get to this in a minute. Even those of you who don't believe in him, he died for your sin. He did. If you have a guilty conscience today, you now know that you can actually be in the presence of God. You can actually have God in your life and you can be in God and he will walk with you. You can do that, but you must have your sin forgiven. But he's already done it. One sacrifice. He doesn't have to do it again. He doesn't have to do it again for you. One sacrifice. It's already been paid because he had the eternal spirit within him and it's done for everybody. When Christ, now here's what's cool. When Jesus Christ died, you guys know this? When he was on the cross and he died in the temple in Jerusalem, the holy of holies, the most holy place had a curtain that divided it from the rest of the world. And when he died, the curtain that kept God's presence from anybody, nobody could go into it, it ripped in two. It ripped in two. Because God was saying, now my presence isn't locked up in this box. Jesus has opened it to the world, my presence. And then the Bible tells us, you guys, now there is no temple. I've been there. It's, it's destroyed. Do you know what the temple is? You. 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 He says, when you receive my forgiveness, he goes, I no longer live in a man-made temple. He goes, I live in that's the presence of God in your life. Do you guys have this? Do you, do you know this? Do you want this? I, I'm telling you, this is where we just go, I don't know what you're thinking. But that's what hit me in that moment with my wife and my daughter. I'm like, he's here, man. He's here. And he's living in me every moment and every day with every issue I'm going through. He's there. And he forgives me for all my stupid stuff. It is clean. There's nothing, there's not a sin that I can do that's not already forgiven. And his presence is in me. That's the mystery. You can be one with God all the time. All the time. And that's what Jesus calls eternal life. Now, I just want to tell you, man, if you're into going to church and not that, like, you are missing it. Like, don't ever go to church again. But come to church. No, 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 no. But yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, come, yeah, come to church. Come to church to remember this. Come on, all you guys who are Christians. What the heck are you doing? We're all walking around like he's not living in us. We're all walking around feeling beat down, tempted, falling into sin. He doesn't love us. Are you kidding me? God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that if you believe in him, you shall not perish. You will have eternal life. And eternal life is his spirit inside you right now. All right. So. So if you are a believer, what is this? What do you do? What do you do with this? Well, I don't even have to tell you. It's right here in our next portion of scripture. In your program, on the right-hand side, if you're a follower of Christ, then I want you to write in that blank, I have atonement. I have it. I am covered. I am forgiven. 
I am at peace with God. It has nothing to do with my goofed up crazy life. It has everything to do with Jesus Christ, who's my savior, who took all my sin and he went into the cross, absorbed it, and as a scapegoat, took it out. So he took away my sin. If that's you, write on that blank, I have atonement. And here's what this writer of Hebrews said, okay? Here's your application. Therefore, in light of that, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus Christ, can I ask you, how many of you this last week walked into the most holy place? How many of you sat with God and received his love and his grace and his mercy and his wisdom and his presence? Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, which is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God. Come on, man. Live with him. Get him in your life. Get in his life. That's what Jesus died for. So as you could be in his presence and draw near to him. With a sincere heart and with a full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. No Christian should have a guilty conscience. Now, should you be convicted of your sin? Yes. <laughs> Difference between conviction and guilt. As soon as the Spirit convicts you, you confess your sin to God. He's faithful and just to forgive you because of Christ. From a guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with pure water. Let Now listen, man. Come on, man. Some of, you are, some of you are like, I don't know if I really believe that. You're Christians and you're going, I don't know if I really want to follow Jesus anymore. I don't know if he really loves me. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds and not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And here's what I want you to do. If you're a Christian, I want you to take that thing. If you didn't get one, get one on the way out. And I want you to sit with that today at some point. Not here. I want you to take some time, and I want you to sit with it. And I want you to circle and underline and go, what am I going to do because Jesus Christ gave his life for me? Am I going to live in this reality that God is present in my life or not? Now, on the left-hand side, for those of you guys in this room who don't have the Spirit of God living inside of you, your sin has not been atoned for, and you're not forgiven, and he's distant from you. I'm telling you, man, he loves you. And he gave his life for you. He, yes, he, does he demand holiness? Yes. Did he know you couldn't do it? Yep. And so he loved you so much that he sent Jesus. So what do you do? Look at this verse in the, in the Romans. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. I'm going to say this point blank as clear as I can. 
You are saved by grace, which is a gift, and Jesus Christ is the gift for you. He's already died for you. He's already laid down his life for you. He cannot tell you how much more you matter to him. And all you do is receive it. You receive it. You don't try to be better. You don't try to be a good person. You receive the gift of Jesus Christ by faith. And you say, you know what? I want to be atoned. I want my sin covered. I want to be forgiven. And I want to be at peace with God. And I want his presence in here. And I'm just going to ask you point blank really clear. Is there anyone in this room this morning who would like atonement? Is there anyone in this room today, all you got to do is say, you know what? I hear you. Because here's, a, it's, it's so weird. I don't get it, but here's what I know. If God is loving on you right now, you want it. You know you don't have it, and you want it. And all you got to say is, Jesus, I just give you my life. Can I just ask real quick, is there anyone in this room? All I want you to do is just raise your hand. If that's you today, if you want to be your sin atoned for, just raise your hand. Anybody in here? Come on, good. And listen, so here's what we're going to do. Now, what we're going to do, Derek's back here. Um, if you've done that and the service is over, I want you to make sure that you connect with him, okay? But here's what the rest of us are going to do. We're actually going to take communion. Band, you guys can come on up. And we're going to take communion at this time. Because here's what Jesus said. For all of us who you've just heard, again, the depth of the richness of what Jesus Christ did for you. Right before he died on the cross, right before he was the sacrifice, he got his disciples together, right? And he took this piece of bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Did you guys hear that in this passage? The curtain is the body of Christ. He broke it for you so that you could actually enter right into God's presence. If you ever wonder if you're loved, he's going, then on a regular basis, take communion and take this bread. And this is what we're going to do. All of us who believe, they're going to pass it out to you. Take it and hold it and go, Jesus Christ died for me. He is my atoning sacrifice. The sacrifice has been made. The love has been poured out. And then he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the blood of the new covenant. The old one's gone. <laughs> you don't have to try to get all your act together and do what's right and then make sacrifices anymore. No, if you receive my sacrifice on your behalf, then that blood is a new covenant. All your sin is forgiven and my presence is in you. So we're gonna take communion. Our greeters are gonna pass it out. If you're a follower of Christ, then here's your moment. Take that bread Take that blood and take it in and go, I am at one with God. I am at one with God. Not because of anything I've done, but because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. His presence is with me. Remember that. He's living inside you to give you everything you need. All right? So let's go ahead, you guys, pass that out. Anytime you're ready, you take that communion, and then we're just going to worship and praise this great God who loved you so much that he sent Jesus on your behalf.